0: Christ Forming the Church is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his twelfth message, Continuing Daily. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and it reads as follows, And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. And now, Let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his 12th message, entitled, Continuing Daily, as he continues his series, Christ Forming the Church. Well, this is also a special Sunday in that uh, we turn a corner this Sunday. We are going to um, summarize and prepare for what has gone in the past and what will come in the near future. Let me recap for you. This whole year... We have been teaching on relationships. Do you remember in January we said that God made us for relationships? Because He made us to reflect Himself. We are made in His image. That is to be a reflection of Him. And we know from our own heritage and our own faith, God is a triune God. That is, God is both singular and plural at once. And the closest He can get us to that nature is to give us a relationship epitomized in the marriage relationship in which we are both individual and couple. We are both singular and plural at once. That reflects who He is. Now, we also said that because of sin, relationships fail. They are devastated. They go to their own destruction. And so, in February and March, we talked about Relationships fail and how they need God, they need His intervention, because left to our own sin, we will destroy each other and destroy the very intimacy that God has given us. And then in April and May, we talk about how Christ builds relationships and rebuilds relationships, according to His pattern, according to His power. And then from June until today, we have been talking about how God then, Takes those relationships that have been rebuilt in him and gathers them together. Because just as it is not good for the man to be alone, neither is it good for the godly relationship to be alone. And so, therefore, God gathers together his people into an environment that will nurture those spiritual relationships together in that environment is called the church. And God gathers that people for what we're going to find out is a march against the forces of evil to be salt and light in the world. And that's what we're going to be preaching about in the coming uh, Sundays. For the next three months, we're going to work our way through the book of Revelation. Now, while I'm on this, let me ask you to do a couple of things. First of all, I want you to bring your Bibles to church. It will be easier for you to track what we're doing. This is going to be much more of a Bible study than usual. If you haven't got a Bible, you can mark in. They're available in, a, in the bookstore. We got some, some, uh, very, uh, uh um, I don't want to use the word cheap. You don't want to use the word cheap for a Bible. Economical, uh, <laughs> low cost, uh, uh or, or other Bible. But I want you to have the word that you can follow. Secondly, for next week, I want you to read the first chapter of the book of Revelation. Because I'm going to be giving you reading assignments every week. So that, by the end of this time, you can have an understanding of the book of Revelation. People run from this book. I can't figure this out. It's a wonderful book. And so, we're going to be going through that together. Now, this Sunday, we have as a capstone the appreciation for how God formed the church in the past and as an assurance, the courage for facing the church of the future. These couple of verses that form a summation of that uh, first church and how God formed it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 46 and 47, there are summary verses. It says this and day by day continuing with one mind in the temple now remember that word homothumadon that's the Greek it means in one accord you remember what we said could only be in one accord it could only be that these minds were fixed on God rather than fixed on their own needs you can all be together you can all have the same theology You can all love one another, but if you're praying mostly for your own stuff, that's not one mind. That's 500 minds. There's only one way you can have one mind, and that's for everybody to be concentrated on God. Alright? It says, And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, remember that phrase, in the temple, then from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a delightful picture. What a wonderful passage. A passage full of grace and joy and peace. Let me paint for you the picture of this first church as I believe it was, as the Bible testifies that it was. There was a distinct absence of stress in that church. There was a distinct absence of, of, of trying for something. Now, let me tell you why that was. Because these people heard for the first time, and it began to dawn on them for the first time, that God had paid it all. And that it was God who had provided it all. It was finished. It was done. It was complete. And therefore, salvation was God's gift to them. What do you think it would be like to be a Jew who tried all of his life to be good enough for God? Every day failing. Every day having to offer a new sacrifice. Every day coming to confront your own weakness and and insufficiency, what would that be like? Well, let me ask you, what is it like? What is it like for all of us who try to earn our own salvation? What is it like for all of us who try to be good enough for God and think that maybe if we can be good enough, then we can be religious? What's it like to hear, really hear, for the first time, God's paid it all? That it's a gift that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have eternal life. What's it like? What's it like to hear for the first time, really hear for the first time, what it says in Romans 5? That God has issued peace with us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What's it like? It's a wonderful sense of relaxation. You know, I heard a story once about Harry Houdini. Some of you who are older will will remember that name. He was the great escape artist years ago. Bragged that he could escape from anything, under any circumstances. Well, there was a small western town who who had built what they claimed was an absolutely unescapable jail. And so as the ultimate challenge, they invited Houdini to come out and try to escape from their jailhouse that they had just built. Well, Houdini took a look at this thing and says, come on, let's make a contest out of this. Chain me up, tie me, do something, you know. This is easy. Come on. do." They said, no, just go in. See if you can get out. Well, they went into a cell and they closed the door and they left the room. Well of course, he thought, you know, this will be record time. Pulls out of his sock, his little lock pickers, you know, and went to the door. Just fiddled and fiddled, waiting for the click. No click. Tried harder to get that thing up all right. No click. Well the minutes wore on and on. He began to sweat profusely. He was really tense. He couldn't get this thing to click. He spent, I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour, absolutely exhausted. Couldn't get the thing to click. In his exhaustion, he just fell against the door and the door opened. They had not locked the door. What was it like for the first time to hear you were no longer captives of sin? That Jesus had unlocked. What was it like for the first time to hear that sin was no longer master over you? As it says in Romans 6. What was it like for the first time to know that Jesus made good on His claim? Luke 4.18 I came to set the captives free. You're the captives. You're free. Walk out of your sin. You can do it now. I've unlocked the door. It was wonderful. It was joyous. And not only that, but it began to dawn on them as the days went by. Not only did God pay the price, but He chose me for the prize. They began to remember the words of Jesus. And they began to look at their own nature. They began to examine their hearts. How is it that I want this salvation? They knew their lust. They knew their addiction to sin. Do you think that it was because of their nature that they wanted to be saved? Is there anything in a pig that does not enjoy slop? Is there anything in a pig that wakes up one day and says, Ooh, I'm all muddy. Is there anything in his nature? Says, "Oh, I hate garbage." Is there anything in the nature of a human being who wakes up one day and says, "I don't want to lust anymore. This is just silly. I don't want to be greedy. I hate this." No, there's nothing in our nature. There's only something from God that comes into our lives and wants us make God wants wants to make us go after God. They begin to think. What Jesus had said, nobody comes to me but that the Father leads him. They began to remember what he said in John fifteen sixteen when he said, You didn't choose me, I chose you. And it began to dawn on them that even their faith was a gift from God. Even their hunger for God was God's doing, not their own. You surely can't believe that the reason you believe in Jesus Christ, if you do, is because you're smarter than other people. You surely can't believe that it's because you've decided on your own to be a good person. You surely can't believe, do you, that it's because you're better than everybody else. No. If you believe that, then the glory doesn't go to God, it goes to you, at least a good part of it. No. It's all God. D. James Kennedy has a, has a illustration that he uses. It's a parable. He said one day there were five men standing out in a parking lot planning to rob a bank. And a man came along and heard the plans and he, and he got into the group and he said, don't do this. It's wrong. It will hurt you. It will hurt your families. Don't do this, please. But all of them hardened their hearts. And they turned toward the bank and they broke and they started to run toward the bank and he he tackled one of them and got him down on the ground and, and physically detained him. Meanwhile, the other four rush into the bank, rob the bank. During that robbery, someone is killed. They are caught. They go to trial. All of them are sentenced to death. Now, can the one who was tackled claim that the reason he was saved is because he was smarter than them. Or the reason that he was saved is because he had better intentions. Or the reason that he was saved is just because he got sick of of sin. No. He can only acknowledge that for some reason, somebody intervened and caught him before he destroyed his life. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, (laughs) that's all we've got. The only reason I haven't destroyed my life is because God was good enough to tackle me. It wasn't because I quit lusting after things I shouldn't have. It's because some time, some reason, He planned to take me and restrain me. He chose me, and I don't know why. I don't know why He chose you. But it's none of my doing. I know that. It's all God. What was it like for them to realize that? What was it like to be free because you knew the love of God? What was it like to be free of the horrible payment that you would have to pay? And what kind of relationships resulted from that? They were wonderful relationships. You remember what it was like the first time that you knew the delight of love, that, that that you hadn't had time to build your own plans yet, and so you hadn't had any time to fail at anything yet? You remember what it was like loving somebody for free? I heard a story, another parable one time, about a man long ago who was a craftsman. He was a very, very good craftsman. But by his own choice and of his own fault, he became very deeply in debt to an unmerciful merchant. So deeply in debt he knew he could never pay back what he owed. That merchant came to him. And this was in a day when the merchant could say say what I'm about to tell you. The merchant came to him and said, If you don't pay me back in three months... I'm going to sell you and your family into slavery. Well, from then on, the man went into work, and, and every time he thought about it, his, his, his eyes filled up with tears. He could hardly see his work. His, his hands trembled. He couldn't face his family anymore because of what he'd done. And even though they didn't know the fullness of it, he, he found himself isolating himself from the very people he loved and the very people who could have loved him. His life deteriorated as he became more and more isolated. Worse at his work, worse at his relationships. Finally, the master, who owned the company for for which he worked, couldn't take it any longer. He went and he asked the steward, who was very close to the workman, what's wrong with him? And the steward explained the situation. The master said... Tell him, I will pay his entire debt. Now, without carrying that story out any longer, can you imagine what happened to his work? Can you imagine what happened to his relationship with his family? It was reestablished. It was free. His work was so much more effective. Why? Because now the basis of the relationship was on a debt paid, a freedom established, a freedom that he had nothing to do with on his own. It was a gift. But the love was increased because of it. That was the original church. That was how it was. Now, what do we do now? What is the church like now? What would God have us do from now on? Knowing that, knowing that is the basis for our relationships. What characteristics do we have? Well, we quit trying to earn it, quit trying to achieve it. And we enjoy it and just live up to it. And we take it from this time together out into our world. Because what God has established for us in the church, He has also established for us in our homes. You see, that's what it said. And they were continuing to meet together with one mind in the temple. And from day to day, going from house to house, breaking bread together with gladness. By the way, this is not the first time God has done this. He established the temple in the same way. You understand that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You understand that what He does in the New Testament is a fulfillment of what He started in the Old Testament. Let me show you a passage, as a matter of fact. 2 Chronicles. Turn in 2 Chronicles, if you have your Bibles with you. It's the Old Testament. Look it up in the index if you can't find it right away. And turn to the 7th. Chapter of Second Chronicles let me show you this it's a wonderful parallel to what happened in the 2nd chapter of Acts just to show you that God has been consistent all through the years trying to show us what kind of love he has for us look at what this says when the temple is completed God's completing the temple in Chronicles he is completing the church in Acts in a provisional sense alright look at this now when Solomon had finished praying, what happened? Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And all were together praying on the day of Pentecost, right? They were there, they were there praying. With one mind. Solomon prayed with one mind. So did 120 uh, uh, followers of Christ pray with one mind. Well, the second's better than the first because the second, there's a plurality there as well as a singularity. You understand? All right, read on with me. When Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. What happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 3? Well, they hear the roar of a mighty wind. And the Bible says, And there came and rested on each one of them tongues as of what? Fire. The first temple, God sends down fire. The second temple... God sends down fire and consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices. The first time it consumes other sacrifices. Sacrifices you have given as a consequence of your sin. The second establishment of the people of God, the sacrifices that it rests on are what? The people. Were the sacrifices. It says in in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do you see how God is establishing it in a more complete way than He established the first temple? The first temple built of stones. The second temple is built of living stones. That's us. Now, read on with me. You'll see the pattern. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And all the sons of Israel, seeing the fire come down, and the glory of the Lord upon the house, bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground. You know what? They're afraid. (laughs) What happened when they saw the first, uh, in in Acts chapter 2, what happened... When they saw the wonders of God. Well, it says, and everyone kept feeling a sense of fear. Phobos. Awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place. What happens after the awe? Read on with me. Verse 4. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. What was their second thing after fear? They started giving they started giving. In Acts chapter 2, the very next verse, it says, Everyone kept a feeling a sense of awe, and those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. See? First temple started giving. Second temple started giving. And then, what is the third result? The third result is is that they have gladness and joy and they take it with them from the temple into the houses. Look at this, verse 10. Then on the twenty-third day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their tents, rejoicing and happy of heart because of the goodness that the Lord had shown to David and to Solomon and to his people Israel. In Acts chapter 2, Verse 46, it says, "And Day by day, with one mind, continuing in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Praising God. You see, God has done it again, only in a more complete way. Well, what does that leave for us? We don't have to. Desire for anything else. We don't have to wish for anything else. God's given us everything. It's already ours. And so therefore, we don't have to earn it or we don't have to feel like we add to it. God's already done it. He's given us the means of salvation. He's given us the means of holiness already. And all we can do is be glad and praise God. I heard a story once a long time ago. I love this story. Two people have been married a long time. They're old. They've been married 50 some years. They're walking downtown together, slowly, kind of leaning on each other, you know, getting, kind of loving one another. And they come up to this fountain that people have been using as a wishing well. You know, that's what happens when you put a fountain in. People just start throwing a quarter into it and making a wish. And they're standing there together, kind of leaning on one another. And the old guy reaches down in his pocket. He's got a whole pocket full of change. You know how old guys are. They carry change around with them. Jingles. In case they need it for a parking meter or something. Reaches down and grabs that big handful of change, pulls it all out, throws it in. Well, his wife looks up at him and says, Boy, that must have been a whale of a wish you just wished for. He looks down at her. Tears fill up his eyes. He said, God gave me what I wished for. Over 50 years ago, I'm just paying up. God's already given us everything we could have wished for. The rest of life is just paying up. And all we can do is throw loose change. We we can't even come close to returning what God's given. But we can be awful glad. And we can keep on praising Him. It was the character of the first church that's the character of ours. And what will happen when we keep that character? Well, you can see it in verse 47 here. I'll I'll tell you this and then I'll quit. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Do you know what happens when you get a group of grateful people? You get a bigger group of grateful people. You know, there's a lot of people all stressed out, trying to earn their own way, trying to be good enough. They've got it all wrong. They've got the message from the other side. The message from the other side is, you'll never be good enough, so try harder. You know? I had somebody come to me this week. She had the same thing. I know 50% of people say, so, you know, I really want to join the church, but I'm not good enough. And I said to her, if we waited till we were good enough, there wouldn't be one member in this church. You understand, there are no good people in this church. We're just a congregation of sinners. Nobody's got it together. Nobody's good. Only God is good. That's what Jesus said. Only God is good. Now, when we recognize that, then we can assemble and relax. Then we can give praise where praise is due. You understand what happens when you understand that you aren't good enough. And it's by that very freedom that you can gather together and say, thank you God for loving me anyhow. People are attracted. Day by day they were adding to the number. We just got word this week from the American Society for Church Growth that for the third year in a row, we are, we are one of the 50 fastest growing churches in the United States. Now there are 450,000 thousand churches in the United States three years in a row you know that you know what that says about us you know what that says about us nothing it doesn't it says very clearly in scripture 1st Corinthians 1 3 we can plant we can water but God gives the growth it's his deal it's not our deal we haven't even tried to grow And we aren't interested in church growth. We're only interested in praising God. We're only interested in recognizing the goodness of God and God's accomplishments and giving Him the credit for it. And I think that's one of the things that allows us to grow. Because we haven't got an agenda. We haven't crusted over yet into an institutional church that has a committee for everything and that tries to achieve this and wants to do that and all that kind of stuff. You know what? You couldn't kill this church with a bomb. You couldn't because we're not trying to be a church. We're not trying to do all those things together. It doesn't matter to us if we have 12,000 people or 12 people. It doesn't matter. That's not our business. That's God's business. It doesn't matter if the building falls down tomorrow. We'll just move on out in the parking lot and hold services like we always did. It doesn't matter if the finances dry up. I'll flip burgers. I'll be here on Sunday. It doesn't matter. You can't kill us. You know why? Because we're not an institution. We're just a gathering of sinners who wants to recognize the goodness of God. That's all there is to it. And what a delightful life to be able to live. What a feeling of freedom. What a winsomeness about life when you don't have to earn it or achieve it anymore. You can just live out your gratitude for it. One more story. When I when I was in seminary, first year in seminary, I, I went. Uh, I preached revival services. Now, can you imagine me preaching revivals? I enjoyed it. I liked it. Well, there's the, there's a little church in northern Indiana, uh, and uh, well, most of the churches, country churches, they had they had revivals, and they called them meetings. We're going to have a meeting. And, and, and the people would come in. There'd be maybe 20 people there. That's a, that's a good size crowd for a little North Indiana church. And so, so I, you know, was standing at the door greeting the people as they, as they were coming through. You know, you pray, you pray through the people, you know, you, oh God, you know, you're praying for them as they come in, you know, kind of priming the pump. Well, this little girl, this was in January. And it was cold and it was snowy. But beautiful snow. And this little girl comes through the door. She was four or five years old. Absolutely angelic. Had this little fur thing all around her face, you know. Had this little round, cherry, Charlie Brown kind of face, you know. Perfectly round. And I stepped back and I said, Oh, you're beautiful. Well, she didn't pause. She didn't hesitate. She looked at me and said, My mother thinks I'm darling. <laughs> now, I don't want, I don't want, I, and I watched this girl work that crowd for the rest of the night. I mean, people just went over to her, delighting to be in her presence. But here's what I want you to see. When she said that, she was not at all thinking of herself. She was thinking of her mother. My mom thinks I'm darling. If my mom thinks I'm darling, anybody else who doesn't is kind of off the deep end. That's their problem. If my mom likes me, it doesn't matter whether anybody else does or doesn't like I mean, if I pass my mom's muster, that's all that counts. You know? And so there was this confidence and this absolute delight. Well guess what? Your father loves you. He may not think you're darling. He's a bit smarter than that. But he loves you. He died on the cross for you. And if God loves you, who is to come against you? You are more than conquerors through Him who loved you. It's all been paid. Enjoy. Pray with me. God, even as I pray, I know that Satan is so active wanting to say yes but to all of us. Well, as true as the yes buts may be, The final verdict is what you did on the cross. There may be some folks in here who today say, God, I realize for the first time I can never earn salvation. I can never be good enough and I'm tired of trying. But I know that Jesus died on the cross for me. And I just want to accept your goodness and your grace and I want all the glory to go to you. When I say, Jesus, come into my heart and live in my life. And for the rest of us, God, who have prayed that prayer, help us to be absolutely delighted in it. To go together with gladness and with simplicity of heart, praising you every day and concentrating, Lord God, on you That is the gladness for our past and that is the courage for our future. To know that You have not only provided for us, but You will provide for us. Not because of anything we've done or who we are, but because of Your great love. Thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Would you stand and yet relax as you do that? What a fitting... Closure to this service would be if we could sing together the doxology. And again, praise God for His grace. Would you sing it with me? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. service has ended. Go in his peace.